Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to let you know of something that we just recently announced that we are so excited about at ABT, and our Virtual Hitting Academy is getting a facelift in 2022. So, so excited for this. We are adding monthly guest speakers that are going to come in and coach you. You're going to have exclusive access to one-on-one coaching with me where we can talk about hitting our mental game, a hundred plus hours of videos of hitting drills, mental skills, coaching workouts, and more free hitting journal, some gear, and so, so, so much more that is just scratching the surface with this virtual hitting Academy. We are so excited. Enrollment begins January 1st, but if you join the wait list now, you will get early access and freebies by joining the waitlist. So joining the waitlist is free. So just head over to www.ashleybtraining.com to get access to all the freebies, all of the things that we're giving you inside the ABT waitlist. We are so, so, so excited to launch this on January 1st. And if you're just interested at all, you're going to want to join that waitlist. So head to www.ashleybtraining.com. You will be shown where you can sign up for the waitlist and get ready because things are about to get exciting. All right, let's head to this episode. Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well, but now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes. And I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, hey, I'm just going to dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm going to have some of the best softball players, some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast, sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive. And that's why we're here. So welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us, learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Eggle, and I am about to bring you an episode where I probably learned more in this episode than most conversations, and it's with All-American and All-NPF pitcher, 
from San Clarita, California, Jordan Taylor. I am a huge fan of Jordan. I actually got to compete against her one time in college. I was a freshman and she was a senior along with Amanda Chittister. And you know Amanda Chittister is now on Team USA. So they were a pretty stacked team. Um, but I have admired her ever since I struck out against her my freshman year. And she is actually still playing in Japan. And what's really cool is we just had Natasha on and she talked about the Japan experience. We also talk about that a little bit here with Jordan. Um, but I'm really, really excited. And we talked for so long and we had so many good gems out of this episode that I'm actually making it a two-parter. So in part one, we talk about her experience playing with Coach Hutch, who is one of the most well-known coaches in the game of softball. She is running a very tight ship at Michigan and she is doing an incredible job there. We also talk about the similarities between pitching and hitting, which I learned so much about and loved. She also gives tips on how to throw the curve, the changeup, and the screwball. And I think she talks a little bit too about the rise ball um, and her perspective as a pitcher on how she is able to create that tight spin and make that ball move a ton. Now, she also talks about the one pitch that you have to master before moving on to those movement pitches. And that was really insightful for me as well. And we also talk about how she loves to trick the brain of hitters and how she is able to do that. Jordan is one of the most confident pitchers I have ever met, and you're going to learn a ton from this episode. Here's a little bit, actually a lot, about Jordan before we dive into this episode. She played at Michigan from 2008 to 2011. That last year was the year I got to play against her. She's a four-time Big Ten regular season champion. That team her class won four Big Ten championships from the regular season. Unreal. You don't see that often. Three-time all-conference first team, Big Ten freshman and pitcher of the year while at Michigan, and she was a three-time NFCA All-American. She was, after she played at Michigan, drafted 11th for the NPF, and there she was a three-time all-NPF pitcher, two-time Cowles Cup champ, which is their version of a World Series, And after she played there, she coached at Boston University and Loyola. And while she was at Loyola, she got an invitation to continue her playing career to play in Japan, and she has been there ever since. So from about 2017 to now, she is playing in Japan, and you get to learn on this episode how she became so good, how she still remains to be good, how she takes care of herself as a pitcher. Let's dive into this episode with Jordan Taylor. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm Ashley Burkhart, turned Eagle recently. I need to stop saying Burkhart, it's not my name anymore. Uh, Jordan Taylor is in the house. Jordan, I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. We are about to have a really fun, loving conversation. We just talked for a half hour just about anything and everything <laughs> from wine to Japan and earthquakes, but and I'm already stoked. <laughs> this conversation is going to be a fun one. Um, so fun fact, baby sis is now playing at Michigan. You played at Michigan. What does she have to look forward to? I just, I'm just, I just want to hear from your perspective for her first oh. and last season. She's probably probably deep in the uh, football season and they're actually doing well so that's yeah. like a plus, plus 
I, they didn't didn't have quite the great seasons when I was there. Um, uh, but Ann Arbor is just such a great like spring in Ann Arbor and like home games are like there really isn't anything that beats it. It's such a great time. Yeah, and fall in Michigan is incredible. Like just the leaves changing. There's actually hills there, unlike yeah. Indiana. And honey crisp season, honey crisp apples. If you haven't had a Michigan honey crisp apple, have not lived. It's so good. I miss I that. Need, <laughs> I need to do that. Yeah. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> sorry, you don't, you don't have those right now. <laughs> but when you come back from Japan, you can finally get some with your mom. Yes. Great. You have good cherries in Michigan, apparently, too. Yeah. There's something about cherries. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where yeah. they're from, but I know they're good. Somewhere in Michigan. I know. My grandma's always like, can you go up there and just get some so I can make a pie? I'm like, anything for you to make a pie, grandma. I will go get you <laughs> Rewards check. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, before we start again, talking about things not softball related, um, I'd love for the audience to get to know you and a bit of your story. So if you can take us through your pitching journey from when you started, what your parents were like influencing you to where you are now pitching in Japan. Well, I didn't start pitching until I was like 12, which I mean, is still kind of early, but um, (laughs) my dad had a team at the local um, kind of pony league, which is probably like they should do research on this pony league. It's called um, the Hart League, William S. Hart. The amount of people who came out of this league that played division top division one softball and like there's a couple MLB guys too, actually, is just shut up insane like half of Tennessee's lineup that's been through there yeah just there's so many people it's insane but um yeah he had a team and I remember coming to him and saying okay I want to pitch and my mom was like no it's that's a lot that's a lot of pressure (laughs) a lot of whatever and so she immediately set rules and was like you have to practice every day when we say you have to go to lessons you have to go to lessons so I'm like okay and so I was horrible. I was, I was horrible. I probably still hold a record for pitching the ball over the backstop. I had <laughs> no idea where the ball was going, but I always threw really hard. But yeah, I did really, I, I was in that league and I was always like in the like bottom division. We kind of had like two leagues, like the competitive league and the coaching league. I was in that coaching league until I was 14. Like I was never in the good league ever. And then my mom kind of saw that I wasn't going to really get anywhere and said, okay, we're making the journey to Orange County, which is insane to think about leaving somewhere to go to Orange County because it's like, yeah, but I mean, she thought I was really good and kind of just needed to get out of the like bubble, I guess. And so, yeah, I started playing for Cal Cruisers. And then um, from there I went to uh, Gordon's Panthers, which isn't an organization anymore, but, um, I was from the 16s Panthers. I went to the 18s Panthers and then, yeah, I actually ended up my last year, went back to Santa Clara Valley and the choppers and, um, kind of went from there, which now they're like all over the place, but they used to just be the Santa Clarita Valley. But yeah, I was, I was all over the place. So many teams, <laughs> so many teams, um, <laughs> a lot of coaches. And I really had, I went, I had a local coach 
And then we went to a just softball camp with um, Deb Hartwig and Susan. Oh, Deb. Yeah. yeah. She still sees me and she's like, I still remember when you were this big. Like, I was always this big, but we'll, we'll go from there. She coached but, yeah. my teammate, Alex. That's how I know her. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And I saw her at Alex's wedding, which is like right after we graduated. That's how I met Deb. But that, that's so irrelevant. It's crazy. So you can keep going. Uh, <laughs> Deb's like, she's seriously the greatest. Um, and so, yeah, I went from Susie. And then after I was on the Panthers, my coach, Richard MacArthur, who ended up being my pitching coach, but he had me go to Ernie Parker, who's the like late and great, like any 80s, 90s pitching video you would have had, it would have been Ernie Parker. Like he was, he I was the Andrea version, basically yep. all these videos. And he, yeah, he was a stickler, but he really did kind of transform me into kind of the pitcher I am today. And he actually came to Michigan um, and helped me one or two times when I was just I didn't know what my mechanics were doing in the middle of, in the middle of my career, but yeah, no, he was, he was honestly the best. So, um, but yeah, I think that was it. That's a lot. It's a lot of softball. <laughs> well, it took you to Michigan and then you got drafted to play for the pride originally out of Michigan. Yes. So I actually said, I didn't want to play on the pride, um, turned it down uh, but they drafted me anyways and had me kind of fly out after and showed me around and said, you only need to be here for a month. And so I think I played two series, two like normal regular season series, and then it was straight into championships. So I, my eyes were like this big the entire time. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but yeah. That's cool. So you ended up playing for them and then you played for the Australian national team, right? Was that after was that? I was on pride for six seasons and got traded to Australia, which was like beyond not devastated, but I was, I was not a happy camper during that time, but it was honestly the best experience, one of the best summers. And then from there, obviously I got to know, um, Australia, all the girls on Australia. I've gotten to go out there a couple times and play in their national tournament. And, um, oh, fun. yeah, it's kind of one of those, everything happens for a reason type of thing, no matter how angry I was at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just, it's obviously different going from pride to a bunch of Aussies. Um, <laughs> the volume got a lot louder. (laughs) Uh, It was just great to like, I'm a really big like learner and like want to like kind of learn how people do things and they just do everything so differently, pitching, hitting style of play. So, I mean, I was a kid in the candy store once I got over Mm -hmm. (laughs) being butthurt, but (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. No, it was great. Yeah. I do remember Chelsea who plays for, Australia. Forks. She was my teammate. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea Forks. Forks. She was like, her swing was so unconventional, but she was always clutch. You know, like it was like one of those things where I guess I was kind of introduced to something different culture wise. And I was telling you earlier, like I also had Japanese teammates and talk about like complete 180 when it comes to culture and how they treat the game. Yeah. Not like 
that they, the way they treat it, but they literally, you bow to the field, right? Yeah. Like before you play, you bow to the field. Oh, I yeah. just think like when it comes to respect, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's so beautiful. Um, so from the Aussie team, what led you to Japan and starting to play over there? Well, I was already here actually when I played. So I oh, got it. was, it was 2016, my first year here. I was coaching at Loyola Chicago and God bless my boss because this happened two years in a row. It was first Brittany Cervantes left a week before season. And then I, the next year, I think a year to the day left a week before season just in opportunities to go play. And at the time I didn't think kind of coaching was going to be my career path. And I didn't want to turn down the opportunity to come play over here. I'm like, obviously I'm on year five from that happening. So, um, yeah, I was, I was in the middle. I think it was my second season that I, yeah, my second season that the whole Aussie trade happens. Got it. I just interviewed Natasha about the culture of Japan and like how different it is. Like you practice eight hours a day. It's just, it's so different, but what have you learned from that culture that or just like the way they, they play the sport? I mean, obviously you're there for five years, things are probably fun and you're enjoying it and you're probably learning more than you ever have. But can you like just sum up that experience of just Japanese playing and what it's been like? Well, they're definitely um, quantity over quality, like in their practice. But I mean, you will never meet someone more dedicated than a Japanese softball player. They are just so locked in. And it's just, I mean, every day they really don't have, they have one day off a week type of thing. They have, they'll break after our first half and they break for um, like New Year's. New Year's is kind of their version of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's it. Like they are probably 330 days out of the year playing softball and it's all day. And um, I mean, some of the teams are different. So how it works here is it's companies sponsor yeah. team basically. So I work for a hospital um, <laughs> lucky in my, in my old age and creaking bones. <laughs> <laughs> The MRIs, but um, yeah, so they actually have to go into the office some of the days. So in summer, mostly they go in um, and work in the office. So there's a couple, like they work in like the babies ward, the NICU unit, <laughs> like they hold babies. <laughs> like, can I, we just sign up for that? But um, <laughs> like some are like hospital greeters and then some like um, are like assistants they're just, they're so dedicated and they're so passionate. Like there's so many times where we will win a game and half the team will be in tears just because they're so like excited that like kind of everything came to a head. But yeah, I've learned in just dedication and kind of like honoring what, like what an opportunity this is and trying not to take for granted that I get to play softball for a living kind of sounds silly to say that you're like taking advantage of it or taking it for granted. But I mean, we do, we get paid so much money to be over here in a completely different culture 
not understanding what anybody's saying 90% of the time, even with translators, and just getting to play softball for a living. Like <laughs> an opportunity that, you know, I really hope and pray that we can have in the US one day. But I yes. mean, I don't think you're, I, you are taking advantage of, you know, the opportunity. But then again, like, who wouldn't if you had, if yeah. you had that? So there was something that you said before about how you played on so many different teams prior to college. And I know there's a lot of listeners that, you know, maybe they're jumping around, maybe they're like literally been on a team too long, but like, what was the reason why you jumped to a lot of different teams, played on a lot of different teams? Was it because the talent was better? Was it because you knew you'd grow there? Do you, do you know why your parents helped you make those decisions to jump around? Well, moving out to Orange County was the decision to get out of the bubble and looking for other opportunities. But beyond 16s, I had pretty bad luck, if we're going to be honest. So I had, I was on three different gold teams and my first year was the Panthers and it folded. They mm. just stopped playing. And then my second year I was on one of the Batbusters and they were no longer a team for undisclosed reasons. And then my final year was on with choppers. So I feel like at one point I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be known as like the girl that like can't stay on a team and blah, blah, blah. But like, honestly, and I've met a lot of too with pitching coaches and people want to stay loyal to the pitching coach and they like want to see it through and my mom like saw a lot of with my first local pitching coach. And then we went to a just softball camp with Deb and Susie. And she was like, okay, this makes more sense. She was like, I see her already improving in just this one hour session. She was like, Mm -hmm. I think we need to make that step. And then she saw me kind of hit a plateau with that um, with that pitching coach. And so she was talking with Richard MacArthur, our, my, um, 16 under coach. And, and he recommended going to Ernie Parker, which is like turning down Elvis at that point, like, (laughs) Hey, yes to Ernie Parker type of thing. But it was kind of within one week, she already saw an like even more improvement. So I see so many kids with like the same instructors and they're just not making any progress. And they're kind of just stuck in this like little like sand pit. Mm-hmm. And so my mom really did see the kind of foresight to be like, okay, this doesn't really make sense. Like, I think we need to change this person. So yeah, yeah kind of made that move for me. <laughs> yeah. So you ended up having to be really resilient when it came down to like going to tryouts all the time, probably. Yeah. Yeah, because I did I did try out for all those teams. My best tryout story though still is um Gary Hanning and the 18, my first ever gold tryout. And he was had this big long spiel about how he wanted athletic pitchers. <laughs> so so we went to go do the running and I pulled my hamstring. <laughs> the, first, the, team. <laughs> the, first, the first minute I pulled my hamstring, I was like, ah, eh, this is probably not for me. <laughs> oh shoot. Next. Good. I mean, it all worked out, obviously, but I still remember, I was like, okay, I'm going to be athletic. I'm going to be, I'm going to run really fast. I'm the slowest runner known to mankind. Like, I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah. You tried really hard. You gave it all you got. (laughs) Oh my gosh. 
Hey there, I'm popping in real quick to talk about something I haven't talked about in a while, and that is the Goal Smasher course that I built in the middle of 2020 when athletes were struggling with their confidence, strictly because it was really, really hard and we were stuck inside, couldn't see our friends, couldn't practice, we were always on our phones, and I noticed athletes were really, really struggling with community and confidence. And so I built this course. It is literally 14 strategies that when you do them, you are proven to build your confidence as soon as you do it. Some of it is hard work, and that's the whole point. It's easy things, easy amount of time to just grab this course and whip it out for the day, but some of it's some of that work that when you finish it, you feel fulfilled, you feel like you have a purpose again, and that is something that I've noticed athletes need. So if you're interested in investing in the $7 Goal Smasher course, I know it's only seven bucks for a reason because every athlete that does it will find confidence if they do the work. So you can head to www.ashleybtraining.com, click on the train with me tab, and you can find the course there and sign your daughter up if it's something you think she could benefit from. I will also put a link in the show notes for you as well. All right, let's head back to this episode with Jordan Taylor. So what would you say to the, to the athlete who's like super scared to go to tryouts? Like, it's like, oh my gosh, this is nerve wracking. Obviously you went all out and tore your hamstring in that story, but what advice would you give to that player? Who's a little nervous for a tryout? That even Olympians got nervous going to their tryout. Like you're going to get nervous. You use that energy for good. You use those nerves. I think it's when the, when the nerves get the best of us is when you start doubting yourself because of those nerves. Mm-hmm. Like if you did the work beforehand, that should be good enough. If you, you should be confident in the work. Now, if you didn't practice for two weeks before those tryouts, like you probably I've should be nervous. Work. You probably should be nervous, but if it's nervous because you really want to do well, like it's just going back to your preparation and knowing, knowing that you did everything that you could, knowing you put in the work and then whatever happens, happens after that. But yeah, you should listening to some of these Olympians talk about the tryouts, like, like half of them were puking in buckets before they had to go out, (laughs) like the best of the best get nervous. So I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. You almost have to like find something to hone into that you're like, okay, this is what I'm good at. Just be good at this thing. Like just use that as your driving force. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, that's such great advice. So thank you for that. So you've been starting to do these things called like balcony series on Instagram. Yeah. Yes. Is, is this your balcony in Japan where you're doing these from? No, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I was doing the balcony series. My uh, apartment in Japan is approximately 150 square feet. <laughs> it's tiny. It is a dorm room. And during quarantine, it's like, uh, if you go outside and get caught, you will be kicked out of the country forever. Oh um, so I was not taking that chance. So my outside was, <laughs> my breath of fresh air was on my balcony. But yeah, they all, all the Japan houses pretty much have balconies, but that's where they hang out their laundry because they don't really have dryers here. Fun little fact. But um, yeah, that's where I would go outside and do my abs and then <laughs> random arm circles to try to stay in somewhat of shape. Um, right. But yeah. Yeah. And on Instagram, you did this fun little thing where you started talking about different pitches and... You really got into one, obviously your curveball because it's your favorite pitch and how to throw it. 
for anybody that's just like, what the heck are you talking about? On her Instagram page, she did a, like a few IGTVs, I think, just describing how to throw yeah. specific pitches. One um, minute videos. <laughs> one minute videos. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like before reels were a thing, maybe. I don't know. But I just, I found them super insightful. Like for anybody that's just being introduced to like pitches and like how to throw them. I thought it was, it was awesome. But I know you also are huge on making sure you don't have 10 pitches. You, I think I'm sort of quoting you that you're like, any girl that says she has 10 pitches, she probably can't locate them. Oh (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel about, uh, like when should you start learning pitches, um, other than like a fastball and a change up? And then maybe we can dive into some of those pitches that you had talked about too. Yeah, I think, well, I think the problem lies in where you have a 12 year old throwing six pitches and they don't have their fastball mastered yet. If you don't have your fastball perfected, like everything else builds off of your fastball. So -hmm. if you still can't locate your fastball, you'll be damned if you can locate a curveball. If it's even a curveball, probably not going to be one. But um, I know when I was learning pitches, I was fastball change up for a really long time. I didn't learn my curveball until a year into it, maybe. And then I remember learning curve rise, like right one after another. And then when I went to 14s, I remember my head coach being like, well, you have to have a drop ball and screwball too. And I'm like, why? Like looking back on it, like, why do I need that? So I just feel like a lot of times it's coaches that don't really know what they're talking about. Like said like, oh, you need, you need all this, like try to hold on to it. Like it just doesn't quite work. So it when in doubt, I feel like listen to your pitching coach, um, and not quite the head coach. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think girls try to learn so much so fast without even getting the fundamentals down. And if, if your pitch is doing the same thing as the other one, like just ditch one of them. (laughs) Right. I still remember one of the girls coming to camp at Michigan and I swear she was talking for five minutes when I asked her how many pitches she had, like she just kept listing them. And I was like, I just remember being like, okay, <laughs> let's see your fastball. And it was like, <laughs> everything did exactly her fastball and her changeup were the only difference of all of her other pitches. Wow. So, um, it's just getting, it's just learning the fundamentals and making sure that your mechanics are, you actually have a solid base before you're starting all, because if you have issues in your fastball, everything else is going to have issues too. So um, it's just really getting fundamentals down. Yeah. So your advice, if somebody let's say has a curveball and it's not really flowing, like go back to the fastball, let's see how that looks. And then kind of jump back into not relearning the curve, but um, everything else will kind of fall into place. Yeah. Identifying a lot of times with, curveball issues because curveball she's a fickle she's a fickle pitch that one (laughs) everything has to be on time your hand has to be on time your hips have to be on time and it has to be like a one-two type of thing and so many pitchers get the hand part of it but not the hips part of it or vice versa and so it just doesn't quite work like 
that's always the pitch that I, I know if I'm on time, if my curveball's working, if my curveball's all over the place, I like, I rewind and go back and just throw a couple fastballs and then go back to my curveball and see if it's working. And that's always when I'm coming back. Cause I, every time I kind of leave Japan and come back, like I take a, a solid month off. Otherwise my shoulder would have ran away from now <laughs> by now. It would have <laughs> been a soul, soul entity, but, um, Every time I come back and throw bullpens, I always end with the curve box. I'm like, yep, we're, we're not there yet. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's just learning that timing and everything of getting everything to work that you have to, if it's not working in your fastball, it can't work in your curveball. Right. Right. Now, I do love how you describe how the curveball works. So if there's anybody out there that's like, oh yeah, I really (laughs) want a curveball one day. Could you do like a one minute, you know, Instagram reel version of like, obviously people can't see it, which is hard. I but know. I know. That's the well, favorite thing I've ever drawn in my entire life is the revolving door. <laughs> I was laughing to myself. Albeit I, I was slightly delusional in quarantine, but I was laughing for like 10 minutes before I posted. That. Yeah. As long as Jordan doesn't delete it <laughs> off her Instagram, you can find it there. Um, but how would you describe how the curveball works with just your words? So I always try to like break it down, like as if I'm talking to a little kid. So I, with curveball, first of all, you have to get on the inside of the ball with any pitch. You have to think about where you're wanting to push. I wish I had a softball where you're wanting the pressure to go. And that's where your hand needs to be. And so for the curveball, you have to have some sort of pressure pushing through the center and outside of that ball. And that's, what's going to make that spin. So you're having to push through this part in order to make it spin. So you have to make sure your hands there in the first place. And then I talk about it like a revolving door, like those little glass doors mm-hmm. through, Oh, you should have seen me trying to translate this to Japanese. Cause it was, <laughs> it took 30 minutes. <laughs> this one minute breakdown if you think of your hand like a person and each leg is like a door so door door and you're trying to get that person on the inside of the door so you're mm-hmm. wanting to make sure that hand comes on the inside of your hip before that door closes otherwise if they're coming at the same time that ball is going to go right down broadway right down the middle and it is going to get crushed right behind you <laughs> So graphic. I feel like I'm so watching graphic. a horror film. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but basically like keeping it inside, like close to your body before you start that rotation. Yeah. With your okay. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Make sure you get your hand on the inside of your hip before you're closing. Because yeah. the the harder you're slamming your hips closed, that's what's gonna make the ball really turn a corner. It's that close, that aggressive closing of your hips. But mm-hmm. if it's coming at the same time, it's just not going to go where you want it to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved how you described the pressure um, of the ball, like on your hand, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of pitchers that are like trying to, let's say, go for like a rise ball, even they're literally only holding. And this is actually, I'm thinking of myself trying to learn a rise ball. Yeah. Right. Like I'm only using like the very bottom half of the ball. I'm not using the middle to provide pressure before the spin happens. Mm-hmm. I'm learning so much. This is why I quit pitching. I was like, I can't figure a rice ball out. I'm done. Um, well, the only reason I figured that out too, though, is that one of the pitchers at Loyola Chicago had an off-speed rise ball. And when I asked her how she threw it, it was like a magical pitch. I asked her how she threw it and she like really didn't know. And so we like 
took it slow-mo and tried to figure it out. And that's kind of where I got the whole pressure thing was because she was spinning it. If this is the ball, she was spinning it only in the front half of that ball. Mm. So she's coming through, she was spinning it and had like absolutely nothing behind the ball. And so she's only spinning it on the upside. And that's what made it so much slower because it was that slow spin. Yeah. Instead of having something pushing through that ball and that's what keeps the speed. So that was kind of like where I got the whole pressure thing from. Wow. It was this magical off-speed rise ball. <laughs> Isn't it fun how like when you learn these things and it's like after you've played in college and you're like, oh, crap, like it would have been nice to kind of know that concept. I know. Always. A little sooner. So many things learned. So many. So many. This is why you've peaked after college and you're still playing. <laughs> yeah. Because you're still keep learning. Playing. Keep, keep on playing. <laughs> keep on playing. I love it. <laughs> Can you describe a change up? <laughs> I'm putting you so, on the spot right now. I hope. I, <laughs> so my changeup's not a true changeup. It's an off-speed, and the same thing that I just talked about. You have to have nothing behind that ball. So if you have any sort of pressure moving through that ball on the back side of that ball, then it's going to go too fast. So anything. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about like flip changeups, we're t- talking about the back of our hand and pulling through here. So you even Mm -hmm. see that there's nothing behind that. The only thing moving forward is the pull. And so good change-ups are going to be that you don't have anything pushing through that ball. It's all kind of pull or on the side. So mine, it varies. (laughs) It does what it wants. It does whatever Uh, it wants to do. It does whatever it wants to. Um, Mine is kind of a culmination of several pitches but mostly for the most part I throw it kind of on the side so it's more of a horseshoe so when Mm -hmm. I come through well and I have a knuckle so I have a knuckle that kind of sets it so I'm like locked into place on those seams Mm -hmm. and any picture of me throwing a change up I have the like these like gnarly t-rex hands coming through and it's because when I snap back the ball is peeling off So anytime you want, like if you're taking a picture as a pitcher and you kind of at the end of your pitch have like, I call them pretty hands and ugly hands. If you have pretty hands, that means you just let go of the ball. So it's just going to be kind of a slow spin. Mm -hmm. You want that quick backspin. And that's what that, like the ugly hands are going to provide because you're almost peeling it back. Like you're peeling an orange almost. So you're peeling it back. And that's what's going to make the ball spin super fast. And that's what's going to create those like drop off the pipes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I love how you describe this. Letting go of the ball. So it's just going to kind of be like a, it's going to be slow, but it's going to be. It's going to kind of stay in the same spot. Yeah. Yeah. And you want that ball to move. You described this so well. And for anybody that's just like, (laughs) man, I wish I could like watch her describe this this is recorded and will be up on youtube (laughs) so if you're like dying to know this ugly hand pretty hand thing like ugly youtube (laughs) to watch (laughs) i have the pleasure of getting to watch this right now Um, so much better (laughs) i was gonna say the visual is great and this is i this is why i also like the fact that you've visualized these analogies on instagram and why i was so um excited when i saw them but Last but not least, let's just talk about the screwball. You talk about like the external rotation. And you also talked about how like you didn't exactly have a great relationship with the screwball. But when it does work, what are we trying to make happen there? 
So it's, it's a hard pitch because it's not a natural movement for us. Right. So internal rotation is going to automatically be a little bit stronger just because it's a natural motion. Um, that external rotation, it just puts a lot of pressure on our shoulder, especially our elbow. I don't know how many pitchers I've met over the years that have had Tommy John surgery and it just blows my mind. And honestly, it might be from kids learning screwballs at the age of 10. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just, uh, to me at this point, it's kind of irresponsible pitch coaching just cause it's, it's just so much pressure and it's just not a natural motion, but it really, it's the least work quote unquote work, um, out of a pitch, at least for me, because it's such a small motion that you can do, um, in that position. So mm-hmm. it's really, it's all your fingers having to kind of push through towards the inside corner. So it's, you already are starting on the inside of the ball and all it is, is just kind of pushing it through towards that inside corner like opening so, a door almost. almost yeah 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 okay so screwball and rise ball are actually pretty similar in finger movements it's just one ends up towards pointing towards um the inside corner and one ends up pointing up towards your chest so got it which setup, one's which for anybody listening the one pointing up towards your chest would be the rise ball towards the inside would be um so you just don't quite finish the point for the screw ball. And then you yeah. go all the way up and finish the point for your rise ball. So, but really for screw ball, it's where you step for me. So for me, I'm stepping towards the opposite end of that plate. Mm-hmm. And so for, if I want the ball to go inside to a righty, I'm stepping towards the outside corner and I have all of my energy moving towards that outside half. So outside to center part of the plate and you're just slamming through and it really is just kind of a flick of the wrist to get it to go, (laughs) but it's just setting up your body. So you can have, you have the room to get on the inside of the ball. Yeah. That's the one that's it's fickle because as soon as those hips come through, man, (laughs) yeah, right down Broadway, you don't want that. It's like game over. You know, yeah. it's funny. I love hitting. Obviously, that's my baby. I'm, this is probably why I ask so many questions to pitchers because it's something I don't really know a whole lot about. But when you were describing like opening up your hips, making sure there's room to work, I think of that as hitting very similar. Like if you're yeah. closed off, like that inside pitch, there's no chance you can get your arms, you know, inside the ball, which is kind of how yeah. you described it. But it is kind of a similar move. Like the way you're balanced upon, like, when you're about to release, like you have to be within your legs to allow that space for you to kind of work and do your magic with your wrists. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but I just love how similar well, they really are. like chest down. If you pause a pitcher in the middle of their, in the middle of their motion until the end of their motion, if you pause chest down and look at a hitter swing, it's almost identical. Mm-hmm. It's almost identical. Yeah. If you don't pay attention to the arms and whatever we're doing with those things, right. <laughs> all the leg work, that's it. Whenever like I'm talking to it or working with like a hitting pitcher, like they always have the same issues pitching as they do hitting with their legs yeah. every single time, mm-hmm. every single time. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. It, what baffles me though, is sometimes when I work with a hitting pitcher and she's like at the time better as a pitcher than she is a hitter. I kind of like, I always refer back to pitching. I'm like, okay, you see, you know how like good you are with your pitch in this spot, 
we're actually trying to get to that same spot um, yeah. in our swing. And like, as soon as she makes that adjustment, just yeah. mentally, she's just like, oh, I can do that. Like, yeah. Yeah, you can. If you put them yeah. together. It's where the confidence is. It's where you have yeah. to follow. It's where the confidence is with the kid. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. I love Jordan so much simply because she talks about pitching in such a real way. And you guys can see how confident she is as a pitcher. I loved how intricate she gets into tips on how to throw specific pitches, what you're supposed to think about. And I'm going to put her Instagram handle into the show notes so you can be able to dive in and see how she describes those things um, and how she teaches them as well love how she also talks about that that fastball is the most important pitch if you cannot locate that fastball yet then you should not be moving to other pitches the other pitches all stem from that fastball other than the changeup. but i love how specific she gets there now what we have to look forward to in the second episode which you'll find next week is a little bit more diving into that confidence aspect, how she's able to be confident with specific pitches, how she has to know herself in order to throw her best. She also teaches us how to make adjustments from hitter to hitter, what she learned from one of her favorite coaches. And she does talk a ton about the definition that she has for tunneling, which I did not know anything about until I learned this part. So as you can see, we have dove into a ton today and we have so much more to dive into next week. And I hope I see you same time, same place next week. Don't forget to stay humble, stay awkward, keep smiling and keep working your tail off for your dreams. I'll see you next week.